Hey, uh, let's, let's dig into God's word today as I continue in our series, My Story, God's Glory. We're looking at some of the stories of the Bible and we're being encouraged as we look into them that God is writing a story in your life. God's writing a story in my life as well. And you know, we read the stories of the Bible and we have the benefit of knowing the end from the beginning. But many of the people that we read about had no idea that God was capturing the account of their life to use in this book that we call the Bible to bring faith, to bring hope, to bring inspiration, in some ways to bring a cautionary tale about what happens when we begin to forsake God or live according to the world or live according to our flesh. They had no idea that, the, that their life story was being captured and accounted, that it would fit in this book as a way to build and strengthen our faith. And listen, you need to understand something today as well, that God knows the end of your story from the beginning. And you might find yourself today in one chapter, it might look a certain way, you might be going through a certain season in your life, and I want to encourage you, if it's a good season, keep trusting God, because his word says he desires to grow you from strength to strength and from glory to glory. But if you find yourself in a difficult chapter, if you find yourself in a difficult season, something unforeseen, something unexpected, something painful, some kind of a rejection, some, something that you thought was gonna go one way and it's going a different way, I wanna encourage you that God is still writing your story. Don't get caught or stuck in a difficult season or a difficult chapter in the story that God is writing in your life or writing in your marriage, your health, or your family. Allow God to keep writing the story. I appreciate about the Bible that you cannot open the book or you could barely, if you opened it and pointed to any page, you'd almost inevitably point at someone that went through some difficult things in their life that went through some unforeseen, unexpected things, but they were willing at the end of it all to somehow, some way, keep their eyes focused on Jesus, keep their situations and their lives presented and surrendered to God, and in the end of the story, God got the glory. And I'm encouraging us, so really that ought to be the thing that maybe above anything that we really are focusing on and hoping for as it regards the story of our life. Have you ever allowed yourself, not to get too morbid, but have you allowed yourself to think about the day that's coming for each of us, because we're not even guaranteed tomorrow, where people, friends and family, those near and dear to us gather and they remember the story of your life? What will they say about you? What would be written about you? And what we can take encouragement from is that there will be, God, God's word doesn't shy away from the difficult times. Jesus said that there would be trials, that there would be tribulations, but what did he say on the backside of that, of that statement? He said, but you as believers can be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. If you're going through a difficult season, don't allow what God intends to be a season to test or refine you to become a cycle that you become stuck in. Allow the Lord to continue to write your story. Don't allow the enemy of your soul to put a period where the author of your story intended there to be a comma. Don't, don't allow the enemy of your soul to take a Polaroid snapshot of one moment, one bad decision, one sinful dark moment and hold it up before you and say, this is what your life is going to be? How can God use you? How can you move forward from this? I'm just telling you, you might find yourself today in one of those moments. God is not done with you. It's the message of the gospel. He's still redeeming your story. He's still reconciling relationships. He's still restoring hearts and minds. He's still healing minds and bodies. He's still writing your story. You can't do a lot about the chapters that have already been written. But today, man of God, Today, woman of God, today, young people, today, people who are joining us online, 
you have the opportunity to say, God, would you come and would you put your hand upon my hand? I refuse to continue to write my own story. I want your story to begin to be written in my life, my marriage, my health, my family, my business, my ministry. We surrender it all to you today, and I promise you that when you do that, when you make that declaration, when you make that statement, when you decide to fix your eyes and your focus on Jesus and you welcome him to put his hand upon yours and the pen that's writing the story of your life, he will write a good ending. All things, the Bible says, Romans 8, all things, he's working them together. For who? For those who love God and who remain called according to his purpose. That's our part. Say, God, I didn't expect it to go this way. I didn't think I would find myself in this situation, but I'm continuing to love you and look to you and trust in you, and I know that you are good, and I know that you'll do, you said that you'll do in your word, take all things and work them together for the good, because I love you, and I'm serving you, and I'm called according to your purpose. My story, your story, for God's glory Listen, that that really ought to be what we're aiming for. Jesus didn't come to just make bad people a little better or a little less bad. He came to restore sons and daughters to a kingdom family. He came to restore you and rescue you from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. He's writing an eternal kingdom story. You have a part to play. The people of the Bible didn't know that their lives were being captured for the account that was gonna be used in the Bible to stir faith in our life. And your story is intended to bring God's glory. When your kids, when your grandkids, when their kids and their grandkids, ones that you might not ever even see with your earthly eye, but from the perspective of eternity, you'll see and you'll know that they can look back and they can say, it didn't always go smoothly, but I'm so thankful for that man in my life or that woman in my life or my parents or my grandparents that took a stand and they said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They began to show me what it looked like to not expect everything to always go smooth, but to know and expect that God would always be by their side. Jesus didn't come to make bad people less bad. He came to restore you and connect you to a kingdom story that he's writing in your life. He came to deliver you out of some things and deliver you to some things. Out of a life of sin and regret and shame and condemnation and the guilt that goes along with that life. Out of a place of isolation and loneliness or despair into a place where we know who we are in Christ. And we live that story out in real terms an adventurous life of faith, a, a life that, 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 that has some of the twists and turns that a good story has, the plot twists and, and the steps of faith, and we don't know how it's gonna go, but, but we know that God is with us and for us. He's writing a story in your life, my story for God's glory. First Corinthians 10, where I told you to turn, verse 31 says, whatever you do, do it all, somebody say all, for the glory of God. Matthew 5, verse 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. In other words, the life that you're living, people are watching, people are looking, people are hearing, people are seeing. The life that you live is either gonna point people this way or that way, but the life that we live, according to Matthew 5, chapter 5, says that we can actually live in a way that people glorify our Father in heaven. 
First Peter 4, 11 is talking about the gifts that God gives to the believers, the sons and daughters, the Christ followers, that's you and that's me. And he references a couple. He says, if you have the gift of speaking or you have the gift of serving, and that's just a couple of the gifts that God gives to his church to help it to be strengthened and help it to advance. But he says, whatever gift that you have, in this case, speaking or serving, he says, do those things with all the strength and energy that God supplies. First Peter 4, verse 11. Then everything you do, somebody say everything, will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Come on, let's pray. Let me ask God to just speak to you, encourage you, touch your heart, touch your mind, bring, bring fresh faith, bring courage, bring comfort to you, whatever it is that you need. Father, that's our prayer today, God. Lord, you care as much as I care about this message and as much as I care about the stories that you're writing in people's lives, Lord in the marriages, in the families, in the lives of the men in this room, in the lives of the women, in the lives of the young adults, in the, in the college and university students who are here. And, and, and Lord, you, you care, Lord, even more than I care about it today, God. And, and Lord, you see the difficult seasons. You see the obstacles and the opposition. You see the challenges, God. And today, Lord, we just say, we surrender it all to you, God. Would you come and would you put your hand on the pen that is writing the story of our life, Lord, that, that the next chapter would be your chapter, God, and that the end of the story would bring you glory, God. And today, anyone who's here joining us online, who's, who's weak or weary, wounded, hurting in any way, God, physically, they have a need in their physical body, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, God, we thank you that your heart is to do and you are able to accomplish, Lord, whatever is needed in that situation to connect people back to you, God, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring freedom, to bring strength, to bring fresh faith and courage, God, for the race, for the adventure, for this life, for this story that you've called us to. And you are continuing to write by your faithful hand hand, and we receive it today, God, all that you desire to do in our lives. Lord, our hearts are open. Our minds are alert. Lord, would you come and remind us of some things or reveal some things to us today in the mighty, precious, powerful, holy name of Jesus Christ, the name above all other names. Come on, God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Listen, did you know that this entire book, front to back, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, the prophets and all the historical books and the epistles and everything to the book of Revelation, did you know it's all about Jesus? It's all a story that is pointing and preparing the scene for Jesus to step onto the stage of the world and to rescue and redeem you and I out of a life of sin into a life of relationship restored with the Heavenly Father that transcends religion or religious exercises. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of every story in the Bible. And that's the question that we have for ourselves today is in this area of my life or in this area of my life or in all those things comprehensively, is Jesus the hero of my story? And in some places I can say with confidence, yes, Jesus is the hero of my story. In other places, I maybe need to do some, I need to do some self-evaluation and some inflection and say, maybe that's an area where I've become the hero of my own story or I've made that person or that thing or that status or that object or that goal or that dream, I've made that the focus of the story. And if that's true for you, like it's true for me in some areas of my life, there's no better time like today to allow the Holy Spirit to just shine his loving light on you and just allow you to recognize it and just do business with God and say, God, I'm sorry for those places where I've taken the pen that you intended to write with and I've been writing my own story because of my, my own flesh or my own selfish desires or my own ways or my own worries. God, I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you. I repent today and I say, God, maybe I'm doing good over here, but in this area, Lord, would you come and would you begin to once again put your hand upon mine as the pen of the Father is writing a story in my life? 
And, and as I do that, as I surrender, as I submit, as I fix my focus on you, God, I might find myself, because of some bad choices, bad decisions, my own pride, sin, and rebellion, maybe I find myself in a difficult chapter of the story of my life. But I know, God, today that as I surrender, as I submit, as I invite you again, that's what we're doing through this series. We're inviting God to once again put his hand upon our hand and, and begin to move and guide the pen that is writing and documenting the story of our lives. Is Jesus the hero of your story? This whole book is about Jesus. You remember when Jesus was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus? He had gone to the cross, he had been resurrected, and early on he, he arrives and he finds a couple of disciples. I think they're kind of wandering and finding their way. They thought Jesus was gonna come and do some things and, and, and he didn't go exactly like they thought it was gonna go because God actually had a bigger and better plan. They wanted temporal relief from an occupation and they wanted temporal relief in the politics of the day and God said, I could come and do that but you would settle for less than what I actually wanna do. I'm doing something eternal in your life. And so they were discouraged and dismayed, and they're walking to Emmaus, and you remember Jesus shows up on the scene, and at first they don't recognize him, but watch, after they eventually come, their eyes are open, and they see who Jesus is, and they're going back, and they're giving the account of this walk, this journey with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and watch what they said. It's powerful. Luke 24, verse 27. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, speaking of Jesus, explained to us what was written in all the scriptures about who? About about himself. That in the story of Moses, where that Passover, that blood of the Passover lamb was painted upon those doorways and it, and it dripped down and it was painted across and it, and it symbolically formed the cross and in the way that the people of God were rescued out of a, a life of, of, of slavery and, 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 and bondage to a life of a promised land and a future. And they went through that sea, which represents the baptism waters that you and I and all those precious people a couple weeks ago experienced. It's all pointing to Jesus. And so we've been looking at the life of David the last few weeks. And in the life of David, there's some tremendous victories and there's some tremendous low marks in David's life. But did you know that David's life is actually a foreshadowing in a similar way to the life of Moses, that David's life is actually a foreshadowing, to borrow a literary term as we're talking about my story for God's glory, it's a foreshadowing of the ministry of, and the life of Jesus in your life and my life. And so I want to finish up the notes from last week. I told you I couldn't get to the end of it. I want to preach the rest of the message from last week today. And I want to show you how in this story, last week we read the whole chapter of 1 Samuel 17. Previously, we had jumped back into chapter 16 and, and the calling and the anointing and the appointing of David. But today, I'm just going to cherry pick a few scriptures to just show you how amazing this is. How, how the life of David and this story, David's life story that we're reading through was a foreshadowing of the ministry and the life of Jesus in your life and my life. So I've got 10 things. You got to listen real quick today, okay? 10 ways that David's life was a foreshadowing of Jesus's life. Number one, both were underestimated and overlooked. And, and remember, David's dad, Jesse, sent the other seven brothers out and left David back on the back 40 tending the sheep. And he sent those seven brothers forward. And David was just back there doing his thing. And, and, and the first son stepped forward. And you remember Samuel took one look and said at him. And he said, surely this must be the one because he looked the part. But God intervened and interrupted and said, he is not the one that I've chosen. There is surely another. For God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Come on, that's good news for me at least anyways. And the other six brothers took their stand and walked before Samuel and all of them. God said, that's not the one. 
And they said, is there, is there any other son? And Jesse said, well, there is the one son. Where's he at? He's back tending the sheep. And they sent for David, and David came forth. And, and, and David was, was the one because God saw his heart, that he was willing to stay back in the hidden place where he had been underestimated and overlooked and underappreciated. But he was willing to just keep trusting God with his story and trusting God with his life. And the fact that others had kind of looked on the outward appearance and thought that it would be someone else, I'm telling you what it resonates as true for you and for I is that if you've ever been in a spot where you've been overlooked or undervalued or underappreciated, if you'll stay faithful with the thing that God has put in your hand, if you'll stay faithful to the assignment that might not seem like much and it's kind of happening in a hidden place, if you'll stay faithful to it, God is able to deliver you from that place to the fullness of the promise and the dream and the destiny and the calling and the purpose that he has had for your life from, from the beginning and the foundations of time. They were both underestimated. Well, yeah, Pastor T, we see that about David, but really about Jesus, you remember what they said in John chapter one, verse 45 and 46, when Philip was going to look for Nathaniel, there was a stirring that was happening. Jesus was beginning to step into his ministry, and they said, we found the one that Moses and the prophets were writing about. Remember, we talked about the whole story is pointing to Jesus, and they said, we believe he's here. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth, and you remember what Nathaniel the prophet said, Nazareth, can anything good really come from Nazareth? Matthew 13, verse 55 Jesus is already doing amazing things amongst them. And it says in verse 55, it says, then they, the people of the community, scoffed. And they said, he's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother. And we went to high school with his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And we know a few of those guys are knuckleheads. And we know that they're just a common family. He said, do, do, is that really, is, is Jesus really who he says that he is? And watch what it says in verse 57. Because of their overfamiliarity with Jesus, it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Jesus heard these words. I mean, they made the Bible, so it wasn't something that they just kind of discerned was happening or whatever. I mean, people were outwardly saying, who is this guy? Both were underestimated, overlooked, and underappreciated. But just like David, it did not keep Jesus from remaining faithful to the call of God because he knew that he wasn't serving for the pleasure or the applause of people. He was serving the purpose of his heavenly father. And I'm telling you, if you allow yourself to begin to live for the applause or the praise of people, that's a slippery slope. It's a slope towards a downfall and a demise. But if you will anchor yourself to the idea and the fact and the commitment in a predetermined way that I don't live for the applause and the praise of people, I live for the purposes and the promises of God, that's the only thing that will not be sinking sand in your life. And Jesus fulfilled the calling that God had sent him for, despite the fact that they were both underestimated, underappreciated, and overlooked. Number two, both were anointed by the Holy Spirit. David, the prophet, by the prophet Samuel, who remember came, and after all those seven brothers, finally David arrived on the scene, and, and they said that they poured the whole horn of oil over David's head, and it set him apart. And in the Bible, and the Old Testament, the oil, the, the physical, practical oil represented the power of the Holy Spirit to us today. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 tells us that Jesus was also anointed. Let me just read it for you. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus Christ. Did you know that Christ is not his last name? He was probably Jesus bar Joseph of Nazareth, but Christ was actually his title, and it's the Greek word Christos, and it means, literally, it means anointed one. David was anointed. Jesus was anointed. And do you know that God desires to give you the anointing of the Holy Spirit? 
2 Corinthians 1 verse 21 says, it's God who makes both us and you. In other words, he's, he's wanting to make sure that they hear that this isn't just for a select few. He's saying, this is, for, this is for every believer. This is for every Christ follower. This is for every son, every daughter, every man, every woman, every young adult who will present their life and commit their life to serve God. He said, it's for us and it's for you. We stand firm in Christ. Because he anointed us, verse 21, moving to verse 22, set his seal of ownership. You've been sealed by the spirit because you've been purchased with a price. And it says he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. David was anointed. Jesus was anointed. And right there we read that all of us, every one of us, Jesus desires to anoint you. Why is that important? Because many of us are experiencing struggle or strife or depression or despair or, or maybe just weariness and tiredness because we're going about the things that God has rightfully called us to do and rightfully called us to be and become in our own strength. And today he says, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want you. I never expected you to do it in your own strength. I desire to anoint you with the power of the Holy Spirit. If it was important enough for Jesus to need it, you better believe it's gonna be important enough for you and for me. Both were underestimated. Both were anointed. Number three, both were sent by their father. Remember 1 Samuel 17 and verse 17, it says one day Jesse came to David. He's already been anointed and there's a, there's a war against the Philistines that has broken out and he said to David, his father, his earthly father Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain, take these 10 loaves of bread, carry them quickly to your brothers. When David showed up on the battlefield where ultimately we know the end of the story from the beginning and we know he would eventually slay the giant Goliath, do you understand he was just being obedient to his father's will? And the same was true about Jesus. Didn't, Jesus didn't come to brag or to boast or to show off his heavenly power and glory. He came at the direction and the decision and the timing of your heavenly father because he's your spiritual big brother. And he came to rescue you back to a spiritual family. We know John three sixteen. Most of us by heart, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever shall believe on him will not perish but have eternal life. But did you know the following scripture, verse 17? It says this, for God did not send his son into the world, God sent him, but he did not send him to condemn the world but to save it. Man, aren't you grateful that we didn't get what we deserved? Both were sent by their father. Both came to bring bread. Obviously, we just read. Jesse said to David, he said, go and take these loaves and these cheese. Take it and check on your brothers who are in a battle that I'm not sure they're going to be able to win in their own strength. And he said, take the bread to them, which represents strength and sustenance. And Jesus, in John 36, said, I am the what? Bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry and I just felt impressed to ask you, where are you gaining your source of strength? Jesus said right here, if you fellowship with me, if you eat with me, if you dine with me, if you reside with me, if you abide with me, if you eat the bread that I offer and drink of the fountain that I offer, you'll never grow hungry and you'll never go thirsty. And maybe once again, many of us are kind of struggling and toiling through life because we've misplaced the source of our strength. 
and we're looking to the world and we're looking to that person or we're looking to that thing or we're looking towards that substance and God is saying today, you will find maybe a measure of peace, you'll find a measure of strength, but if you begin to come and realize that I am the only one that can fully satisfy that place in your heart, that I'm the only one that can fully deliver you to that place of peace and assurance, then you will finally realize I gotta forsake all those other things that I've been pursuing and ingesting and I gotta begin to discover what it feels like, it looks like to put my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ. Let him be the source of my strength. Both came to bring bread, which represents spiritual nourishment. Five, number five, and again, we're, we're, we're digging in this, this and just watching how the, the, the story of David, the life of David, is this amazing foretelling and foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Isn't the Bible an amazing book? Because it's not just a book written by men. It was written by the hand of the Holy Spirit. Number five, both left the sheep in good hands. 1 Samuel 17, verse 20. And he's received, David's received the command of his father to go and check on his brothers and to take the sustenance to his brothers. And it says in verse 20, it says, early in the morning... David got up and he left the flock in the care of a shepherd. There was a sense of responsibility that he had. He knew if I'm going to go, I've got a mission, I've got an assignment, but I've, I care about these sheep. I've fought off those lions and I've fought off those bears. And he, he was intentional and proactive to say, if I'm going away, I'm leaving them in the care of a good shepherd. And it says he loaded up and set out as Jesse, his father, had directed him. Did you know that when Jesus went away, he left you in the care of a good shepherd? a helper, an advocate, a comforter, and a friend. John chapter 16, Jesus makes one of the most mind-bending, amazing, hard-to-believe statements in all the Bible, and how many of you know that that's really saying something? Because the Bible is full of some pretty wild stuff. And, and here, watch what he says. He says, this is, these are red-letter words. This is Jesus speaking. And remember, David left the sheep in the care of a shepherd before he went about his father's will and his plan. Watch, John 16. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Like, Jesus would lie to us. Come on, he says. But he's making a point here saying, you need to listen to this. I'm telling you something that really matters. Tune in and hear what I'm about to say. And he says, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine this? They've see, seen Jesus feed the multitudes with a schoolboy's lunchbox. They've seen him heal the lame and the blind. They've seen him pay their taxes with a coin out of the mouth of a fish that he corrected them to go and cast and catch. They've seen all these amazing things. And now Jesus has the audacity to say, it's actually going to be better for us if I go away, if you go away, because he knew how important and powerful and how amazing a real-time, present-tense, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit would be to you and I as believers. He says, I'll send the helper. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. That, that word helper is parakletos, and it means helper, comforter, advocate, and friend. And you know, I say this often, it bears repeating in this context, perhaps as much as ever, that anywhere in God's kingdom where there's power, potential, or promise, you might as well go ahead and predetermine and expect that the enemy's gonna bring what? Opposition. So, is it any wonder that surrounding the person of the Holy Spirit, because he's not an it, he's not this mystical being. It says right there, I'll send him, he's a person. Is it any wonder that the enemy of our soul has introduced so much confusion 
and controversy around the person of the Holy Spirit. And many of us, because of the confusion or the controversy or in some ways maybe the errors of other people or whatever and how to operate in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, some people have utilized it. We even see it in the New Testament, how people wanted it for their own devices and their own purposes and their own power and prestige. And there's people that have done that in certain ways. And and who is it for me to judge? But I'm just telling you, there have been those kind of things. And because there's controversy and because there's confusion, many of us have kind of held back or shrunk back from really pursuing, embracing, and receiving the advantage that Jesus says right here he would leave us with, which is a relationship with a paracletos, a comforter, an advocate, a helper, and a friend. And today, if that's you, listen, there's many areas in life where there are people who have maybe because of a lack of understanding or maybe because of impure motives. People have messed up with money. People have messed up with sex. People have messed up with marriage. People have messed up with, with, with in business. And we cannot and should not allow it to cause us, the errors of others, to cause us to shrink back or pull back from things that God has rightfully entrusted us to steward and appreciate. And the same is true for the powerful relationship God desires for you with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch it right here? Jesus said, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. He says, it's gonna actually be even to your advantage. It's actually gonna be better off because you're gonna have the fullness of my spirit, real time, present tense, every moment, good days, bad days. He's always going to be with you. And and watch what it says right here, John 14. It says, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper. It's the same Greek word, parakletos, so that he may be with you forever. Somebody say forever. 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 Every moment, every chapter of the story God is writing, you can expect that the Holy Spirit is right there. Listen, if that's you today, and maybe you've held back or you've been hindered from really embracing what Jesus had in his heart and what God intended by the sending this promised helper, this comforter, advocate, and friend, would you today just say, Lord, if that's who the Holy Spirit is, I want the Holy Spirit in my life. And if there's a judgment or a fear that I've had, I repent and I say, God, Would you send me the promised Holy Spirit? And would you just receive him by faith today? And just like any relationship, would you start to invest time in that relationship? Would you start to appreciate the benefit and the advantage that Jesus intended for you to have? Both David and Jesus left the sheep in the hands of a good helper. Number six, both received a bride and a reward. At 1 Samuel 17, verse 25, it says, have you seen this giant? The men asked because every day the Bible says, if you re- go back and read more of the story, Goliath would come out and he was nine foot nine, maybe as tall as 12 foot six, depending on the exact specification of what a biblical cubit is. And he was a big guy. And he would come out and he would strut his stuff and he would go to the edge of the battlefield and he would yell out in an intimidating fashion to the people of God and to the armies of Israel in an, in a, in an attempt to cause them to, to, to step back or hold back or be hindered or intimidated from walking in faith to the victory that God really would have delivered anyone to. God was no respecters of persons. Any of those people would have had the same opportunity to be the David in the story. But but they say, have you seen the giant? He comes out each day. He defies Israel. And and, And they say, the king has offered a huge reward. Someone say reward to anyone who kills him. And he will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And did you know that one of the things that Jesus receives at the end of his obedience to the faithfulness and the calling of God and what God sent him to do and accomplish in your life and mine is that he gets a bride. 
the church, you and I, the bride of Christ. And did you know that Jesus also came and he was rewarded with, with treasures? And watch what the Bible has to say about this. This is amazing. It says, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. There's a few different ways maybe we can interpret this and apply this. God's word is amazing. It's, it's sharp. It's active. There's a lot of places where it can be applied into your life. But do you remember what we said earlier that, that Jesus was sent by the Father just as David was sent by his Father? Remember it said at just the right time God sent the Son. And it says right here that the man saw this field and there was a treasure and there was a season where it was just in waiting, but at just the right time with joy in his heart, he sent just what was needed to purchase the treasure that resided in that field. So what's the treasure? First Corinthians 6 verse 20, watch what it says. For God purchased you with a high price. He purchased you. He came and he received a bride. He came and he received a reward. He came and he received a treasure. And even if you want to get into all the things, the crowns of eternity and everything, when we get to heaven in Revelation chapter 4, the Bible says that we gather around with all the elders around the throne and we all take the crowns that we've acquired and we lay them down at his feet. You're his treasure. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ bought us with his blood. He made us free. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says that you're a holy people, you belong to God, that of all the people on the earth, the Lord has chosen you to what? Be his own special treasure. Just look at someone next to you or around you and just tell them, just remind them, just say you're God's treasure. Just tell them. Just tell them, come on, it's true. It's not just true about pastors and preachers and elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers. You're God's treasure. Jesus came. For you. He didn't come to build a corporation or an entity or an organization or a denomination or a mega church. Because the Bible says that he leaves the 99 to go and find after the. He's going to get the 99. But the way he builds the family of God is one precious son and daughter at a time. You are his treasure. Number seven, both David and Jesus won freedom for their families. Verse 25 of chapter 17, we've already seen that the king has said he'll enrich the man who kills Goliath with great riches. He'll give him his daughter as a bride. But the third thing that was committed to the person, in this case it happened to be David, to the person who would step out onto the battlefield and bring down the giant that was taunting and hindering the people of God from living by faith. He said he will make his father's house free in Israel. And here, listen, at the time what he was speaking of was a real practical, pragmatic thing. He was saying, the person who steps out, who has the courage to step out and deliver us from this enemy, he said, that man will, his entire house, his extended family, will be exempt from paying taxes. The translation you're looking at might not say free in all of Israel, might say exempt from paying taxes in all of Israel. And so it was a practical thing here, but like it's true of many things in the Bible, as we turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the Old Covenant to what we know is a new and better covenant, oftentimes things that were practical and pragmatic become deeply spiritual and symbolic to you and to me. 
And it says right here that they'll be free from all these taxes that were burdened and levied against people. And in our sense, you have been set free of the tax of sin, of the tax of guilt, of the tax of, of shame, of the tax of condemnation. He said, because Jesus stepped out onto the battlefield, he, he got a reward, a treasure, he got a bride, and all of his extended family, that is you and me, have now been set fully free. We don't have to pay what we previously used to be accustomed to paying. Come on, someone ought to say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Number eight, both took off the armor available to them. Do you remember when David was stepping out on the scene and they had kind of tried to convince him not to do it, but he said, come on, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna do it because God's seen me through. I've wrestled the bear, I've wrestled the lion. And they said, okay, David, will God be with you? And Saul came and said, here, before you go, here's my armor, my mail, my, my, my helmet, my sword, my shield. And, and you better believe that the king of Israel would have had the best that money could buy, the best that could have been formed or fashioned in all of Israel. And he said, here, David, take this with you. And you remember what David said? He said, he put it on and he took a few steps and he said, I can't go like this for I'm not a accustomed to these things and he took off the armor and he picked up five smooth stones and put them in the pouch on the side of his hip where his slingshot resided and he went onto that battlefield and used something humble and used something seemingly insignificant to bring down the greatest giant in the land. And Jesus did the very same thing. And this is perhaps one of the most powerfully important things, doctrines that you could really embrace. It's powerfully important because it speaks to our very ability to do and to be what God has called us to do and be. Because Jesus didn't come and call us to a life that is impossible for us to do and to be. Jesus came and modeled what it takes for us to live in obedience and to live out the will of the Father. Watch what it says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he, speaking of Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a servant, and was born as a human being. Here's what it means is that everything that Jesus came and did, he did fully God, but also fully man. He laid down the, the divinity of heaven and he experienced, the Bible says, right, every temptation that was common to man. He experienced every emotion, every rejection. He even experienced, remember, when he was about to go to the cross and he cried out in agony to God and he said, God, if there's another way, please let it be found. If I have to do this, I will, not my will, but yours be done. But he felt every emotion, every sting, every pain, every fear, every rejection. He was fully man and yet he fulfilled the will of God for his life. And it's powerfully important to you and I because if God was asking us to do something that would require us to, be, to, to walk in heavenly divinity, but it's not Jesus' model what it looks like because he walked in un, uh, uh, uninterrupted fellowship and community with the heavenly Father. He was a man of prayer and fasting, and he, he modeled to us what it's going to take for you and I to fulfill the will of God in every area of our life. David laid down that armor, and Jesus came and said, I'll lay down all of heaven all of heaven's authority, all of the benefits and the privileges of divinity, and I'm gonna be born just like them. And I'm gonna show them that it is possible. Not always easy, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible. Number nine, both used the enemy's weapons against the enemy. 
And you remember David, he had gathered that smooth stone out of that pocket and he had slung it and hit the giant in the forehead and it's amazing. It says that the giant was hit in the forehead but somehow fell forward and I think it was because David was coming after that giant, not in his own strength but in the name of the Lord God of Israel and somehow, some way, it defies physics. He was hit in the front but he fell forward into a position that honored and worshiped God. Giants are still falling. Every knee, every tribe, every tongue will one day fall and worship the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it says that after he had struck him with that stone, you remember what he did? He went up to the, the giant Goliath and he got Goliath's very own sword, the sword that was intended for David's demise. And he used the very weapon intended for David's demise and it says he cut off the giant's head. And did you know that Jesus used the enemy's weapons that were intended to be used and waged against Jesus and against the will and the heart of God, that he used the same things against him. David used Goliath's sword, Jesus used the fear of the religious leaders, remember they were conspiring behind the scenes because they were fearful about the loss of their influence and their prominence in the Jewish community and culture because this man Jesus was threatening to overturn it all by coming and offering himself as the sacrifice and they would no longer be vital or useful in the lives of the people and he said, he said I'm using that fear. And then he used the sin and betrayal. Remember Judas went and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And, and, and then he even used death and the grave. And, and, and can you just imagine Satan and all of his cohorts watching the men conspire behind the scenes motivated by fear? Can you just imagine Satan and all of his cohorts watching that demonic influence on, on the life of Judas and his willingness to go and betray his savior and his king for 30 pieces of silver, just a little bag of silver? And can you imagine as they were put, nailing those, those nails through the wrists and the hands and the feet of Jesus and putting that crown of thorns and spitting upon Jesus and mocking him? Can you only imagine that the enemy and all of his cohorts were beginning to laugh and beginning to chuckle and say, God thought he was going to get the upper hand, but look, we've used fear and we've used betrayal and we've used sin and now we're using death to, to eliminate Jesus and to keep him from having the victory that God had intended for him. But what the devil didn't know is that God is still in the business of using the very things that were intended for your demise and your destruction for his ultimate victory. What's he using in your life? He, David used the weapon of the enemy against him. Jesus used the fear and the sin and sin and death in the grave to win the ultimate victory for you and for me. Number 10, this is the last one. Hang with me, we're almost through. Both won the victory as one man for all of us. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 8, Goliath stood, shouted the tots like it was his custom of doing, and he said, why are you all coming out to fight? He said, I'm the Philistine champion. You are only servants of Saul. And watch what he said. He said, choose one man. Somebody say one man. Choose one man to come down here and fight with me. David didn't gather a huddle and say, all right, guys, I need a diversion, or here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go left, and you're going to go right. I'm going to come around. I'm going to circle around. That, maybe they could have done that, but, but it wouldn't have rung as powerfully true in this idea of this being a foretelling of Jesus as if it was the way it happened where David, as an individual, one man, the whole army, the whole family, holding back and shrinking back, riddled with fear and crippled with fear and doubt about, can God really see us through? Can God really deliver? us from this giant and one man stepped out on the battlefield and won the victory for all. And the Bible says in Romans 5, if by the trespass or the sin of one man, speaking of Adam, 
death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. One man. And, and he want it for you. The giant that you don't think that you could ever defeat or become set free from. The giant that had you or has you today maybe even riddled or crippled or hindered by fear. He says, one man came and made a way. You don't have to do it. You don't have to earn it. You can never deserve it. Ephesians chapter 2 says, verse 8, God saved you. How? By his grace. What's our part? When you believed. And read on. I love it when the Bible just makes it super plain and clear for us to underline a point. Watch what it says. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation, verse 9, is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Aren't you grateful that one man came and won your freedom, won your salvation, won your healing? Come on, come on, thank him today, thank him today. One man did it. Stand your feet, stand your feet, let's respond to God. One man came and did it, and now there might still be some skirmishes. We might still have to take a stand, but we don't battle for victory. We battle from victory because of one man, because of one man. And right there where you are, man of God, woman of God, would you just ask God, we got to just give the Lord just a couple minutes here, and then we'll sing and we'll send you about your day. But would you just ask God, just say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? Just open your heart to hear and receive and just, just ask him. He cares deeply about the story of your life. And just ask him, Lord, what are you speaking to me? In the chapter that I'm in today, in the chapter that, just, that I just turned the page out of, and in the chapter that I just sensed that you're beginning to write in my life, what are you speaking to me today? And now just listen. And I trust that he's reminding you of something. I trust he's revealing something to you. I trust he's bringing strength to you. I trust he's bringing conviction to you. Maybe there's something today he's calling you. You gotta lay that thing down. You gotta, you gotta repent of that thing. You gotta extend the forgiveness, whatever that looks like for you. And just receive right now. And Lord, I just thank you that you're stirring fresh faith for a new chapter and a new season. Lord, I, 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 I now pray what I spoke earlier, that if someone has found themselves in what you intended to be a season, but it's become a cycle, and they can't break free, and they can't move forward, Lord, I pray that today, God, that you would come into that situation, that circumstance, and by the power of your love, by the goodness of your mercy, Lord, and by the fullness of your grace, God, that you would come and you would help them to begin to be set free from a cycle so that they can step into a new season, which, is, which represents a new chapter in their life, their marriage, their health, their family, whatever it is, God. We thank you that you're writing a story. Lord, right now, I personally, and I want to lead all of us, we surrender. We ask you to put your hand upon our hand that's 
guiding the pen that's writing the rest of our story. We can't control what's already been written, but we turn to you, we look to you, we put our faith and trust in you, God, and we thank you that as we do that, God, You won't guarantee us that it'll always go smoothly or always go good, but you will do what you will say that you have done and you will never leave us, never forsake us. You'll be right there with us, Lord, right there beside us, leading us to and through, God, to the next chapter, the next season of every life, every marriage, every family. We thank you for it today. We thank you for it today. And right where you are, just continue to receive from God as I wanna just take one moment before we worship one more time and give people the opportunity to come home to Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. You once knew God. Maybe you were raised in the church, but you've drifted or you've gotten busy or preoccupied with life and you look up today and you're far from him. And I just promise you, if that's you, in most cases, it's going to go for you like it did the prodigal son in the Bible. God knew what it was going to be like when you went out and tried to do it in your own strength or your own way. It begins to feel heavy. It begins to weigh upon your shoulders. And today is your day to say, I'm coming back home. And just like in that story where the heavenly, where the father in that, in that parable was waiting, he was watching every day. Is this the day that that son comes home? Is this the day he realizes the error of his ways and he realizes that I'm not going to hold him at arm's length, that I've got my arms wide open, ready to receive him or her back into a relationship And when that prodigal son took one step towards the father's house, he ran out and he put a robe on him and he called a feast and a festival and a celebration because he said, surely my son has come back home. And today, that's the same posture of God towards you. If today you're far from him, his arms open to you, welcoming you back into a relationship that transcends religion. Or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Today's your day as well to say yes to what, just like we just talked about, the free gift of salvation. You don't have to get good to get God. By faith, through grace, and and, 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 and a free gift, you receive the gift of salvation, and God comes into your heart, begins to make all things new. If that's you today, you're a prodigal son or daughter. If that's you today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In this room and online, here's what we wanna ask you to do right now. Don't wait, today's your day. Lift your hand high towards heaven. It's a simple but powerful outward sign of an inward work that God's doing in your heart. It's you saying, God, I wanna, I wanna come home to you. I wanna live for you. I wanna put my trust in you. Even if you're online today, you might not be with anyone else, but I think it's powerfully important. You would even take a moment, pull over to the side of the road, take a step up from your couch or your desk and lift your hand towards heaven. You are not responding to a person or a preacher. You're responding to a good heavenly father. He sees your hand and he sees your heart. And if you raised your hand, you could lower it. You could lower it today. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna quickly, we're gonna pray this prayer with you. In this room and online, we're gonna pray this prayer with you because we believe that, that God's called us to come alongside you and encourage you and help you and disciple you and minister to you, help you to begin to, to live out this new life with Jesus Christ. And the second reason we do this every week is everyone collectively, we pray it because we understand that we never graduate from grace. We never graduate from grace. Even as God's building our faith and maturing us in the faith, where it's all built on grace. So come on, let's pray this prayer with some amazing people that came home to Christ today. Come on, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I could never pay, to make a way that I would have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life. I give you my trust. 
And because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly, I will never be the same and then rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people who came home to Christ today. Hey, God's not finished writing your story. Let him keep writing it. Come on, let's worship the Lord together one more time. Then we'll come and dismiss you about today. Come on, God's good.